Hi, my name is Lydia. And I'm Emma. And we're the hosts of Holy Ship. We are passionate about creating a space for women to talk about sexuality, their bodies, and all things relationships. We think that for so long, Christian spheres have often failed to address these topics with women in a healthy, shame-free, and open way. So welcome to Holy Ship, where we address all the taboo topics in a way that is honoring to you, your relationships, and God. Welcome back to the Holy Ship Podcast. Thank you for joining us this week. We are joined by Lauren and Georgia from Big Kids Table in Australia. And Lauren and Georgia led reasonably separate lives with a little overlap in youth ministry context until November 2020. Little did they know that God had placed the same dream in their hearts and ordained a conversation that would change everything. When a 30-minute Zoom call became a four-hour life-changing conversation, these ladies knew that God had done and was doing something profound. As they shared their stories and passions with each other, it was as if one articulated word for word the aspirations of the other. And after growing up in the church and nearly a decade spent in their respective fields, Christian high school education and youth ministry, Laura, Lauren and Georgia had realized that Christians can really suck about talking about sex, and they believed that the church can no longer afford to be passive, uneducated, or afraid. So Big Kids Table was born out of a desire to change this. They seek to liberate, educate, empower, and reveal the heart of God within sex, sexual desire, and relationships. Um, and talking about God and sex doesn't have to be so hard because sex is good and so is God. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you awesome. so much. Yes, thank <laughs> you. Great to be here. Yeah. Uh, we're so excited to have you. And I'm actually shocked that it took me this long to find your page because I feel like we have like basically the same mission statement and I found your page and I was like, oh my word, like these people are so cool. So yeah, we're so excited to have you. It's so cool. So to start off, can you tell us a little bit more about yourselves, who you guys are personally, and then who you are um, within Big Kids Table? Why did you start that? All that jazz. Sure thing. Um, So I'm a high school teacher in Melbourne in Australia and I head up student wellbeing. Um, And for people in the States, basically student wellbeing is exactly what it sounds like. It's essentially I run the wellbeing program from year seven to year 12 in high school. Uh, It's also a Christian high school as well. So I get to do all the fun topics like drugs and alcohol, mental health, sex ed. Um, And I've always been a the teacher and the youth leader that's been really into talking about everything taboo, everything that's like, oh, I probably shouldn't talk about that. That stuff really excites me because as soon as we bring stuff out of the darkness and into the light, there's just so much relief and so much freedom in that. Um, So I was a little bit itchy uh, in 2020 isolation. In Melbourne, we had the longest isolation in the world, actually, a little badge of dishonor there for us um and so yeah I had this dream that started to brew uh which was essentially the idea of what would it be like to uh, have an online space uh, that would provide young people particularly Christians um, a safe space where they could ask questions about sex relationships faith um but also to resource the church and schools in that space too um, so I contacted Georgia because I knew that she worked in a Christian nonprofit in communications and marketing and pitched the idea to her and then she can take it from here. Yes. Meanwhile, I left school and fell straight into youth ministry um, and studied graphic design as my first kind of career path. And 
I started working for a Christian nonprofit called Mustard Schools, which is based out of Melbourne and they're now interstate, which is really exciting. And they're basically Christian school leadership. So they help high school students who want to live out their faith in school. And for those of you who aren't Australian, um, who are listening, our government is increasingly hostile towards Christian expression in schools. Um, they're becoming incredibly postmodern and that's good and it's bad in some ways, but it means that you cannot um, overtly evangelise in a public school. So Lauren exists in the private sector. Uh, in Australia, we have public schools, Christian schools that are private and church schools that are private, and they're all kind of slightly different. But in the government system, you're not allowed to evangelise or prophetise at all. So it makes it quite tricky for Christian high schoolers to kind of figure out what it looks like to live live out their faith. So that's where I was working. And then God called me into formal youth ministry as well. And I was a youth pastor for a couple of years and then moved to Portland, which is a beachside town in Victoria, Australia, because my husband is a high school teacher, so we moved for his job. And so I was wrapping up... Uh, an era really uh, in Melbourne, Australia, and also like Lauren feeling really itchy, but it was probably one of the first times in my life I had nothing lined up. It was just a big question mark. And all I knew was I was moving five hours away from everyone I know into the small town in the middle of pandemic season. And we ended up doing lockdown away from our friends and family as well. And uh Lauren reached out to me and I was in the season I remember saying to my husband on a walk like around that time like, I just feel uncomfortable I really feel like God's doing something I think I'm going to lead something I don't want to do it on my own though like I'm a raising raging extrovert and I I just knew it was in the ministry kind of identity formation relationship space and I've always had a huge heart for young women and in the kingdom of God and I just couldn't figure out what it looked like and then and obviously I was moving away so I was like maybe I'll meet someone there who knows and then Lauren reached out to me and yeah one afternoon we organized a zoom call and about 20 minutes in she's like asking my perspective on design and marketing about 20 minutes in I was like Lauren I don't mean to be presumptuous but you're describing my dream and I I would just love, I'd really love to be involved. And I think Lauren was like, please, yes, do it with me. Like, I don't want to do it alone. Please, let's just do this together. Um, And yeah, that Zoom call ended up being four hours where we shared our stories with one another and we realised like, well, this is something really big. And uh, that was what, nearly two years ago now and Big Kids Table exists because of that. Oh, that is so awesome. And I love how God used both of your passions and like really just like let it together and like intertwine those dreams. That's so fun. <laughs> yeah, it's really cool. Uh, so for anyone who doesn't know what Big Kids Table is, can you give us a little rundown of what kind of like your mission is and what that actually like looks like in practicality? Sure. So it's two prong. Um, I'll explain one alone. We'll explain the other. So uh, one of our main endeavors is to develop a community online and we currently do that through social media predominantly Instagram which is where you'll find us at bkidstable.au and that is a platform that exists to educate and be a safe space for people to question and really wrestle through stuff and also share their stories because one thing we found in our respective areas uh, working with teenagers in every almost every sphere of influence that they have going through adolescence and school and youth group is that there are so many questions 
but there is very rarely a, a really safe Christian environment to wrestle through those because it's such a personal issue. And so a lot of people develop a shame complex around the questions they have about sex, sexuality, relationships, because, as Lauren said, it's so taboo. Um, and in Australia, we probably our generation was the last kind of generation to experience this in a more overt way, but we had the effects of purity culture come through churches as well, which came out of the States. And it kind of taught young people that your sexuality is a really bad thing and it's a naughty thing and it's to be maintained and chained away. And it taught young women to fear men because their bodies were their vulnerability. And it taught young men to shame women because they were the reason that they felt sexually aroused. So it's just really polluted. Um, And so because of all of this brewing, there were so many Christians, friends of ours, going like the world is doing things one way. And I think I know that Christians don't have sex outside of marriage and have all these rules, uh, but it just, it doesn't make sense and it's too hard. And we were seeing young people really starting to get really influenced by the world around them, but also really struggling with things like porn addiction and not having that safe space to, to wrestle through it all and, and have that unconditional um, positive regard and acceptance while you kind of, we, we, we talk about this wrestling mat, while you figure, you're figuring it all out at risk of people thinking that you're a sinner or like whatever, um, that kind of thing. So Beacons Tables platforms were um, created so that people can write in their questions, but so that we can have a proactive approach when it comes to education, because the other thing we were finding is that Lauren and I are in the marriage era where a lot of our friends are navigating marriage now and they were arriving with all the gear and no idea. I had friends, probably including myself, go, who went, were going to doctor's appointments in their engagement year to learn about um, the options they had in marriage and with um, sex and learning things about their bodies at in their 20s that no one had told them about and learning things about your sexual organs and the way things work specifically of the opposite sex and all this kind of stuff where people were just so afraid to even go there that there wasn't even any autonomy or education around their own um, bodies so yeah we really seek to change that and be a voice coming out of the trenches working with young people answering the really curly questions but then yeah also having the space where people write in stories and testimonies and admit that they don't have it all figured out but we can kind of come together and there's no shame so that's my really long ramble about our social media platforms but that's one half of what we do Lauren did you want to explain the other absolutely so the other half is working with churches working with schools in consultation to create programs in particular workshops Um, in teacher world we call that scope and sequence so that means essentially creating a curriculum from year 7 to 12 around their healthy relationships and sex education and so what that looks like for a 12 year old is going to look different for a 17 18 year old and helping them develop their skills and understanding and language um, and really tailoring that to particular communities and so schools what we do to cater to schools will look different to what we do to cater for church communities 
that looks like working, you know, direct workshops with the teenagers, but it also looks like parent workshops um, and and leadership workshops. We Every workshop we do, we gather people around tables with food because food makes everything better, um, with butcher's paper and pens. Um, and this idea that no matter what your age and stage, we all bring a story and we all bring questions to the table with this topic. And so, you know, just, just like, you know, our 15-year-olds are wrestling with what it is to be a sexual person, so are the parents in terms of, hey, they bring stories to this and and they're bringing, you know, we call it shark music, that like derna, derna, like that, that, that stuff that tells you, oh, my gosh, there's a young person asking me about masturbation. Oh, my gosh, I'm in panic station. What do I do? And so giving them language and tools to work through those moments with their young people to empower themselves and the young people um, that they're discipling and in relationship with. So it's a real great privilege to work with communities as a whole. Um, we really don't believe in copying and pasting um, content, but tailoring it to the particular community. So that's the other mm. half. Yeah, and in Australia, consent education has now become mandatory across all high schools until year 10. Up until year 10, Lauren, you can probably confirm that for me. But so it really feels like, you know, in the Bible when it says the harvest is right but the workers are few, like <laughs> we feel like we're one of few people and there are people in this space existing and doing an awesome job in Australia already, but we really get to speak into that where um, it's, yeah, it's a necessary thing we're having to teach on. So it's really exciting. Yeah. Um, so you guys kind of touched on purity culture, but I'm curious in Australia, would you say purity culture is still strong or was that like more of something that like happened the generation before and it's kind of like evolved? Yeah, so it's definitely something that's there. It's it's not as strong as it is and was in the States, but we've taken a lot of influence from the States. Um, I grew up, so I graduated high school in 2013, so not yonks ago, but enough time. Um and I grew up in a non-Christian family and then started going to a local youth group. And I remember um, I Kissed Dating Goodbye by Josh Harris going through our youth group, like No Tomorrow. Um, I got handed um, Every Young Man's Battle at the age of 14 by an older boy saying, you need to know why you caused me to stumble. Um, and all of the metaphors that are pretty awful, um, you know, like passing a, a, a glass of water around and getting people to spit in it and saying that if you've had sex or kissed this many people, you're the yucky water at the end and would you taste it? Um, you're unworthy. Um, so that's definitely a narrative that's been in the Australian church. It's not as strong now, but I think the remnants are still there very much so. And it's, I think people are learning as particularly um, trauma-informed practice in in education, in social work and psychology has really gained um, knowledge and understanding that people are going, oh, wow, this is the impact of shame. This is the impact of a fear-based approach. And so we still do work with communities where purity culture is very much rife um, and having to unpack with them uh, okay, this is actually the message that's coming along with what you're saying. Um, 
which can be really tricky, but it's it's definitely there. Um, but often in terms of what we do to help them help communities unpack that, because it can be really subtle, is to do little activities so and just do reflection after. So for example, a classic thing that we'll do in a workshop is we'll come in and one of the first activities we do is we play the penis game which I'm not sure if you guys have that in, in America where you yell the word penis louder and louder. Oh, yes. Yeah. 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 Great. Okay. <laughs> it's right. universal. Yeah. <laughs> it is. But for many, you know, playing that game in a church or playing that game in a Christian school, often um, for many people, like even when I talk to youth ministers on the phone and you know, consult with them around workshops that will be doing a lot of them go oh that feels weird or that feels gross or there's something that is in them that's in opposition to what we're doing and even though they go I know what we're saying isn't wrong but there's something in me that's almost rebelling against it we will use those kinds of activities to go okay so notice the reaction in your mind and in your body what are those messages that are coming out in this moment? Okay, tell us about that. Okay, what do you think the impact of those messages is on how you view yourself, how you view God, how you view others, um, and really helping them to go, okay, then also helping them to understand shame and guilt and the difference between those and just giving them something to give them language and tools where people go, oh, okay, I can identify that that's unhealthy. I can identify what is healthy and being able to differentiate. Um, yeah. Oh, definitely. Um, yeah, so we've, like, really talked to a lot of people on the podcast about whether, like, we think the church has a responsibility now to talk about sex because for so long they did talk about sex, but like in either like a shaming way or they like talked about it, just like kind of hide it under the rug, like afterwards. Um, and you guys do do a lot of work with churches to kind of open these conversations and facilitate them. How do you actually work with churches to help open conversations about sex? And I'll say like specifically, like kind of work through purity culture. What does that look like? Mm, great question. <clears throat> so you will never hear us tell a community what they need to think and what they need to do. It's been done before and it's why we're in the mess that we're in. Um, what we're finding is that especially in Australia with this postmodern culture, I was actually recently in the States and I realised, I mean, I went through Texas, which is like the Bible Belt, <laughs> but I um, realised uh, how much freedom it, you, like there is to publicly express Christian values. That's not even that we don't have that in Australia, socially, um, legally, everything. So because of that postmodern uh, environment we're in, people ver- like people are losing the the grid and the concept of what it is to have a relational God. And in Australia, because we have very strong British heritage, there's churches everywhere and there's church schools everywhere. So there's a lot of Catholic schools. There's a lot of Anglican schools um, and they're very old. And so they run things like chapel and like a mass service, um, as in like Catholic mass. And uh, because our society is in such contrast to that, expression people aren't being able to reconcile that god is a person and so they are left with 
the rules that they're given and the, the Bible being a, a rule book, right? So a lot of people know in their heads of what Christian, well, they think they know what Christians think. In Australia, LGBTQ uh, rights is a huge topic at the moment, as it should be, but people make assumptions. And so everyone, for the most part, would say, oh, don't Christians say, like, they don't believe in sex outside of marriage. Um, oh, they hate gay people. All these big assumptions, both inside and outside of church walls. But if you say to someone, where did you hear that? And can you tell me why? They can't answer you. And we're seeing a generation of young people who know what they should and shouldn't do because of this fear-based teaching, but no one's told them why and no one's taught them to sit in the presence of God and actually wrestle through it themselves. So they are not equipped and empowered empowered for the moment that someone makes an advance on you, for the moment that you do have really big feelings of attraction and you've got another human to act like <laughs> engage with them with. And then what happens is they may um, uh, act in a way that contradicts the values that they were taught. And instead of going, oh, my gosh, God, help me, I'm confused, let me sit with you, they're going, I've messed up. That's really shameful. I'm just not going to tell anyone. And that shame problem grows like mold and it just gets all over every part of your sense of self. And we've seen people, Lauren and I have countless friends who we went through youth ministry with that now no longer go to church because they weren't taught to reconcile the world around them, the feelings within them and the God that they were raised to know. And a lot of them know about God. They just don't know God. And so when we go into churches, we speak a lot about a popular Christian opinion and we will educate people about where that comes from. So when we say popular Christian opinion, that is that Christian save sex to marriage. We say we will say most Christians will save sex for marriage. And then we will show them where in the Bible that comes from. Uh, the scriptures on marriage, uh, our perception on dating, it's all very biblical. And we say, this is for you to know where all of that stuff comes from. Then we challenge the frame, we use the word framework of the world around us. And we talk about pornography, we talk about abuse, we talk about consent. And we put, we kind of, I sometimes think of it like in a, when you take an ice tray out of the freezer and it's a bit frosted over and you have to apply a bit of pressure to crack it. It's a little bit like that. Like we really press in on what they think they know. And then the last 40% of our workshops is, all right, what do you think? because we're not going to tell you what you want to hear. Uh, we're going to teach you how to think critically. We're going to teach you that your worth is outside of your beliefs and even what your community thinks of you. And we're going to um, tell you that there is a God that it thinks you're endlessly wonderful. Um, now go and think and wrestle. So we're trying to come up and under them and actually give them the fuel to do it on their own. And it's so funny because you'll go through this whole workshop like hour, 90 minutes, and someone always, after we've said everything we could have to say, always raises their hand and goes, wait, so is sex outside of marriage a sin? <laughs> and it's like, you've missed the point because like they just, people just want to know an answer so they can figure out whether they're welcome and whether or not they're worthy in your presence. And so when you hear a, a teenager or even an adult say, but how far is too far sexually? We often say it's rarely a 
teach me what I can touch and it more of a how far until I should be embarrassed and ashamed and I'm no longer worthy and implicitly God doesn't want to know me. And so it's always, always comes down to your understanding of yourself. And so that's what we go in and we do and we work within uh, church culture and we educate about purity culture and it's kind of like be aware of what you're operating within and here are the tools for your belt. And we say, you're going to leave with more questions and answers. And then we we give all of the ministries and leadership training on what to do with those big curly questions. Um, And we kind of work through it that way. Um, And yeah, it's some of the most interesting conversations I've had with teenagers is since we've started this. So, yeah. That's awesome. And I love how you were talking, like on our podcast, we talk a lot about the why behind our beliefs and how we really Mm. needed that like framework behind it in order to like even uphold any like boundaries we were trying to make, because it's so much easier to just like do whatever when you don't actually have the why behind it. And you're like, the Bible says so. Like, I don't really... I don't really know what that means. Um, but I also really love the part about you guys like teaching and like equipping people to like wrestle with God and like bring all of those like hard topics to him and like really work through that and like see like what is honoring to God like and actually like wrestling with that. So that's really cool. Mm. Yeah, thank you. It's really fun. <laughs> yeah, so I saw one of your posts and it was talking about the difference between guilt and shame. And I was wondering if you guys would be able to touch on that and kind of how you navigate discussions on that. Mm-hmm. Go for it, Lauren. Yeah. Easy. Um, so we really start quite early, start on this quite early in a workshop. We think it's really important um, that young people and adults go, oh, okay, I can identify that, particularly as we're having these conversations because we know that they are uncomfortable. In fact, we say we hope this makes you a great amount of uncomfortable, but that you can sit in this and work out, work it out together with us. Um, so we try and create a safe environment to be able to sit in that and to be able to identify shame. So we say that guilt is, it's kind of like playing a game of operation um, where you're, you've got the tweezers and you're trying to put the little organs in and you might zap the sides and go, oh, shouldn't have done that. Uh, it's like, oh, hit the side, whoops. And so guilt is that, oh, dang, I missed, I messed that up, shouldn't have done that, do better next time. We're actually really okay with young feel, people feeling guilt because it's an emotion that you go, oh, stuffed up that one up, but now I can do better. Um, and particularly when it's about falling forwards or failing forwards. So, hey, it's it's totally okay to mess up and make a mistake, but let's go forward rather than going backwards. Backwards is when we sit in shame and shame is, oops, didn't do that well. I am the stuff up. So rather than I, I stuffed up, I, like my behavior, um, there's an issue with my behavior. Shame is there's an issue with who I am, with myself. And so that, that's the real danger with shame because it really grows in silence and with assumptions Um, Hence why so many people who uh, have porn addictions stay in silence for years. Um, Same with those who maybe have conditions like erectile dysfunction or vaginismus or STIs um, stay in silence because they feel like it's a reflection of who they are. Um, And because sex 
is so tied up in our identity because first and foremost, we're made with connection for with God and then connection with others because it's connection-based. Um, it's so easily linked back to our identity. And then from that, when we feel shame in and of ourselves, uh, we often feel shame before God and before others. And so it's important that we can be able to identify when we're feeling that we're in shame because as soon as we label it and give it and name it, it starts to shrink and have less power over us. Um, and so even just going, oh, I'm in shame right now, being able to label that is so, so powerful because so someone then can come into that and go, hey, I see you. I see that feeling. That's so valid. And suddenly that experience, that shame is like a wilting, dying flower. It can't survive. Um, so we think it's it's first and foremost in what we talk about um, and we continue to name it throughout the workshops as well. And Lauren and I do this with each other all the time because we're actually lucky enough to just be really good friends as well. And we'll call each other and I'm like, I just need to verbalize something because I'm really ashamed. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, I just I just need you to listen to me. And then and then often one of us will be like, that's so not that bad. And then once it's out of your head, you're like, oh. Mm-hmm. That's true. <laughs> but also it's so biblical as well. Like in Ephesians 4 and 5, it speaks all about one of my favourite verses actually. It's like uh, whatever is, it's shameful to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but whatever is brought out of the darkness into light um, is illuminated. But not only is it illuminated, it illuminates and it therefore brings further light into dark areas. And it also makes me think of when Peter finally realises who Jesus is and his very first response is shame. He's like, I'm not worthy. You go away from me. Like, I can't be near you. I'm a horrible person. And Jesus, you know, waits for him to finish. And obviously the rest is history. Like Peter ends up being one of the the most effective disciples for the kingdom of God in history. So it's just human nature to compare and then to exit when you feel like you aren't worthy. But that's the opposite of what you're actually supposed to do. And if anyone's interested, Brene Brown is the piece to the resistance on this stuff. So, <laughs> Yes. Oh, that's so good. I'm actually really curious. We talk like a lot about like, I'll say like dating engaged couples on the podcast, but you guys work with like a lot of like upper class kids or not upper class, but, like high school, like upper grades, whatever. Um, how do like you navigate like talking about relationships with them and like how to have conversations on sexuality when you're like a young kid like first like dating I feel like that would have been so helpful for me to like have like how do you guys actually talk about that Mm -hmm. with them open those up well we talk about dating on purpose so our hope is that like I said before that they are going to know what they think before the opportunity arises there's actually statistics to say that it delays the onset of sexual activity when people have a good sex and relationships education. And that's to say more about the toxicity of really little, like really young people being exposed, like 11. In Australia, the national porn exposure age is 12 years old. So, um, and it's all about being informed because if you're informed, you're not that curious. And curiosity without education is dangerous. So, um, when it comes to dating, we label that the Bible doesn't say anything explicitly on dating <laughs> and just let that sit there for a while. 
and we say, <laughs> like, that's okay. The Bible doesn't talk about flushing toilets and yet you all use them every day. Yeah. So we, it's a lot of it is teaching them to reuse the Bible in its context. And Lauren is awesome when she speaks. She often speaks about seeing the Bible as a narrative from start to finish and like an overarching arc. And then we can bury down on these one these points, but we've got to keep it in perspective. So we uh, we use a lot of teaching um, from Tim Keller and a guy, I think his name's John Tyson. Yeah, it's actually my pastor. Oh my gosh, yeah. what church do you go to? Church of the City. There you go. Yeah. That's so funny. I think it must be. I was an article when I was researching this ages ago. <laughs> he says, you basically, we quote him, he basically says that um, you, you got to do the work when it comes to dating and relationships because it's not explicit. So we really have to get curious. And then he references, um, yeah, that's so funny. It's all coming back to me now. Uh, Tim Keller has this model of the way that the world um, sees sexual intimacy and love versus the way that Jesus does. And he uses the Greek words for love and how Jesus calls us to agape, which is divine sacrificial love first. And then it's um, loyalty and commitment. And then it's friendship and intimacy and sexual, sexual love or eros is the last one. Whereas um, the world today, it's the opposite. And we speak about hookup culture and it's all about what you can get out of someone and how attractive you are to someone. And oftentimes if you're sleeping together, maybe you'll develop a friendship. And then maybe if that's working, maybe you'll start dating. And then divine ultimate commitment is last. And so we're not saying that, you know, as soon as you meet someone, you need to be divinely committed to them. But it's more that um, having a Christ-like perspective of everyone and um, Jesus would die for anyone and upholding people's worth in it all yeah. and we've defined within that we've defined uh dating as this gray bit in between because the bible exalts singleness above marriage actually which we need to talk more about but that can be a different podcast um and then it, it says a lot about marriage but it doesn't really address singleness and that's because of the cultural significance it just sorry dating it doesn't address dating that's just was it was just wasn't a thing but what we can do is glean a lot from everything else and so our definition of dating is upholding someone's worth as a creation of God while you figure out your future together because the irony is the church freaks out about finding ways to date but they put so much pressure on young people to figure out who they want to marry at the same time and so it's all about alleviating the pressure to succeed and instead educating them to make um, intentional choices and honour the person that you're going to do life with um, and keeping them a part of your consideration as you navigate your relationships. And often, you know, questions around sex is so self, self, like self-focused. It's like, well, it actually takes, for the most part, it takes two people to have sex. So what about that other person? <laughs> um, so that's kind of where we come from. And then we also speak about unhealthy, healthy and abusive relationships as well. And that's where that consent stuff comes in. Lauren, did you want to add anything to what I've shared? No, I think that's all fantastic. I think it, it all hinges on this idea of when you see people as the image as image bearers of God, you humanize them. Um, and so then they become worthy um, of dignity and kindness and respect, and they become someone with a story. And so Look, there's no hard and fast dating rules, but I think, um, you know, there's no black and white because it is that middle grey messy bit. 
But I think if you hold on to the two things of honouring that person as an image bearer um, and working out your future together, and actually a successful relationship is just figuring that out. And so Mm. whether you stay together or separate, both options are successful is a successful dating relationship because you figured it out. And if you if you've honored each other as image bearers throughout that, then that's just fantastic. And so that's where everything in between I think you need to do in community. Um, and we really encourage people to invite wise counsel into that space as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Comes down to this um concept of sexual integrity as well with integrity being simply wanting to do the right thing in all ways of life before God and then therefore including the way you express your sexual desires and your relationships as well and yeah and think if you have those things in mind honoring people and sexual integrity normally you end up in a pretty good place (laughs) yeah yeah definitely um, and then just kind of as the last question, I saw a post you guys did about how sex is not about you um, and like the meaning of sex in the Bible. And I was wondering if you guys could touch on that and just like kind of explain us like, I feel like it's kind of like filling in the overarching theme of the episode. Absolutely. Well, I think when you start with it, like, you know, we, we are designed for connection We're we're designed to know another and first that is knowing God and then second that's knowing humans image bearers and so our sexuality is um is so intertwined with our spirituality as well and it's others other focused I think where um sexuality becomes warped and it becomes harmful is when it dehumanizes people and it takes the focus off honoring the other and onto just honoring ourselves. And so, and kind of what I was saying before, when you humanize someone, you give them a name and a story and you give them dignity. And so ultimately, I think our culture is really self-focused in sex. It's the narrative of what I can get out of an experience, how I can feel good. Um, And so essentially that post was us going, actually that's wrong Um, and that's a really harmful way of viewing sex and it's actually just not how it's designed like sex is is designed to bond us chemically Um, we have posts and we do stuff in our workshops about the intricacies of the science of bonding um, and how that is absolutely so beautiful Um, but it's also the beauty of two people being so vulnerable you know in their most vulnerable state together and so that can't just be about you in terms of what it looks like. And and what we love doing is using the 1 Corinthians, love is patient, love is kind passage, replacing love with making love. So making love is patient, making love is kind, making love keeps no record of wrongs. And so what would a sex life look like if it was using that as its criteria? Um, and therefore, if it's not keeping records of wrong, wrongs, it's this patient. It's actually finding joy in giving pleasure to the other person um, and the unity and intimacy that that creates. And so it's not about you because it's actually about us and it's deepening that us um, and deepening the oneness, which in, um, in the Bible is uh, the word Eckhart. Um, and it's actually part of the character of God 
And so we get to experience part of that character of God in sex, in creating one flesh, which I just think is absolutely mind-blowing and completely beautiful. Um, How we need to put sex in its place and that in our society outside of Christian worldview, it's like this amazing thing. Why would you ever deny yourself sex? And in the movies, it's easy and it's clean and, it, you know, everyone has a good time every time <laughs> and there's no just function. And it's like the Hollywood of sex, like it's just not real. But in the Christian context, we put it on a pedestal and it's like your gold medal when you've run a, quote, good race. Mm-hmm. And so many people are smacked in the face with reality when they are on the other side of marriage and someone's got sexual dysfunction someone's an abuse survivor someone um is really struggling to get out of their heads like purity culture really influences people's intimacy um health of it like so there's just so much and it's like the complexities of relationship don't go away as soon as you can have sex if anything they get worse because suddenly you have access to more of someone and they you and you're way more vulnerable. And so I think we need to stop thinking of in marriage you get to have sex and think of that sex belongs in marriage and it's just a part of it. It's just a part of this relationship that's supposed to emulate Christ in the body and um, it's one type of relationship that we have access to and it's just the place of sex is just in that. Like So we just need to like bring it back down and remember that it's unifying and bonding and it's beautiful, but it's just sex and it's amazing. And God made it feel good because he could and he didn't have to, yet he did. But um, when it comes to remembering it's not about you, is it's because our ultimate call on this earth is to make disciples and to love others and love God and bring people into the freedom of knowing Christ. And so we like to think we do that when it comes to understanding sexuality, but it it really just, it is one part of being human. And we must remember that uh, because there's a lot of other awesome things we can engage with. Um, Yeah. And also if you are listening and you're really curious about what we're talking about, reading 1 Corinthians 6 and 7 and 8 is a really good place to start. But I would recommend that you read it in a few different translations. One that is perhaps a word for word, NLT, NIV, and one that's more of a paraphrase like the passion or the message just to help you bring color to it because those messages have also those passages have also been used and abused a lot so just get curious and press in and do the research because it's all there and it's all good yeah and then where can people find you or connect with you instagram bigkidstable.au we are Australian but it is obviously an international page (laughs) Um, and we have a website bigkidstable.org it's in our link tree address in the Instagram super easy to find you can google us you can come to Melbourne and meet us if you would like (laughs) but that's kind of yeah that's where you'll find us and on Facebook as well perfect well, thank you so much for joining our episode today. As always, if anyone has any questions, comments, or concerns, they can either DM us or email us at theholyship.podcast or theholyship.podcast at gmail.com. We hope you have a great week.